1: Hello and welcome to Politics Theory Other, a podcast from Tribune magazine. My name is Alex Doherty and my guest today is James Meadway. We spoke about whether the Johnson government's move to prorogue parliament is really part of a strategy to achieve no deal why the opposition to the government needs to move from parliamentary tactics and judicial reviews to mass protest and direct action, and we also discuss the likely consequences of a no-deal Brexit and why it is that capital has been unable to exert authority over the Conservative Party. Today's show is brought to you by PTO supporters on Patreon and also by Haymarket Books, which has a great many left-wing titles that might be of interest to listeners. One that you might like to check out is Into the Tempest by William Robinson. In this critical new work, sociologist William Robinson offers an engaging and accessible introduction to his theory of global capitalism. He applies that theory to a wide range of contemporary topics, among them globalisation, the transnational capitalist class, immigrant justice, educational reform, labour and anti-racist struggles, policing, Trumpism, the resurgence of a neo-fascist right and the rise of a global police state. Sure to spark debate, this is a timely contribution to a renewal of critical social science and Marxist theory for the new century. Customers in North America can order the book direct from haymarketbooks.org. In the UK and Europe, the book is available through all the usual online outlets. As always, you can listen to PTO on iTunes, Acas, SoundCloud, Blueberry and Spotify. And you can also follow the show on Facebook and Twitter. The handle is at Other. And if you enjoy the show, please do consider rating or reviewing it on iTunes. If you would like to, you can also support the show by donating through Patreon. You can become a supporter for as little as $3 a month, which is just over £2. And by becoming a patron, you'll get access to extended versions of PTO episodes, including today's interview. You can find the Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash poll theory other. James Meadway is a former economics advisor to John McDonnell, the Shadow Chancellor, and former chief economist at the New Economics Foundation. His writing has appeared in Tribune magazine, The Guardian, The New Statesman, and Navarra Media, amongst other venues. A lot of the talk that you see on social media around the prorogation takes the view that Boris Johnson's move to prorogue Parliament was straightforwardly aimed at making a no-deal Brexit possible. However, there's uh, you know there's a range of possibilities as to what the, the strategic objective is here. Some people have argued that this is aimed at provoking a no confidence vote in the government that would then lay the basis for Johnson to go for a people versus parliament election. Others have argued that, that Johnson genuinely believes that the EU can be spooked into a major concession on the Irish backstop uh, by the prospect of, of a no deal, which you know, obviously would be damaging not only to the UK, uh, but to the economies of, of, of Europe and, and especially to Ireland. Um, and then there's the possibility that the threat of a no deal might bounce a sufficient number of Labour MPs into voting for a version of the withdrawal agreement that Theresa May negotiated, albeit with some cosmetic changes. What do you think the Johnson administration's primary goal is here? Well,
0: the primary goal is, is, is what he, actually, he said during his own election campaign, that he's got two aims in life. One is to get Brexit done and two is to uh, smash Jeremy Corbyn. Um, so... In terms of what that means around no deal, I think it's a, it's a, it's a mistake uh, to think that Boris Johnson's aim in life is to get a no deal Brexit. Um, what he wants is a deal. He's insisted that he wants a deal. He absolutely definitely wants a deal. Everything looks better and easier for him and the Conservatives and frankly British capitalism in general uh, if they manage to leave the EU with a deal in some form. Uh, on around the 31st of October. So that is absolutely definitely his priority in terms of approaching Brexit. The no deal bit matters to him solely because really this is this is how he might think about holding the Tory party together. Um, unlike Theresa May, it would seem that he is prepared to go up to and, and perhaps beyond uh, a no deal Brexit if it means that he can hold the Conservative Party together. Um, the risk that, that he's got at the minute is is the current deal includes something which is Part of his government, or at least part of the MPs propping up his government, the Democratic Unionist Party, um, have a, an absolute abhorrence of the backstop. It is sort of integral to their worldview that something like the backstop can never exist, because if it ever comes into play uh, once we're out of the EU and there isn't a, an agreement on, on not having a hard border with Ireland, it kicks in uh, and imposes a border down the Irish Sea between the north of Ireland uh, and the rest of the United Kingdom. So that is something that's completely anathema to the DUP. It's pretty much, a. it's not really like... by great swags of Tory Brexiteers and the Brexit party because the implication is that if you're in the backstop, if you've not come up with some alternative arrangement by the time uh, the implementation period, this two-year implementation period ends, um, the implication is you're going to be stuck inside at least the customs union, the common external tariff and bits of the single market. So in other words, you haven't taken back control. You're still subject to uh, the EU's laws in some sense and also to the EU's customs. Arrangements, so You don't have the freedom to go off and strike all these wonderful trade deals, um, particularly one with the US that you have lined up if you're on the Tory right. So, so nobody is very keen in it. And the Conservative Party membership itself has radicalised significantly over the last sort of two years or so. Uh, and a, a full of, you know, they, they would be very happy with a no deal. You, you've probably seen the polling, which is they, they'll tolerate almost anything, uh, any consequences, no deal. Scotland becoming independence, destruction of the Conservative Party. The only thing they won't tolerate is Jeremy Corbyn uh, becoming prime minister, which is, is the other calculation here. Um, The prorogation I think is mostly aimed as a sort of domestic uh, audience if you like or or domestic politics. Um, The EU I I would say are exceptionally unlikely to move on the backstop. Uh, It is fundamental to what Republic of Ireland says about the world and what it wants is that it cannot have a hard border with the North of Ireland. This is just an integral. nearly uh, you know, There's massive consensus uh, on that in Ireland. So that is just something that's immovable. If the EU can't defend its own members, against, well, in this case, a country that wants to leave and therefore won't be a member of the EU. There's little point being in the EU. So I feel like there's very, very little room for serious manoeuvre on on that point. The reason you do prorogation is basically to try and close down the debate as much as possible and and force the debate back onto the left and back into a space where the options that all those opposing Boris Johnson, at least in parliamentary terms, are very, very limited. It's because you you literally, physically reduce the amount of time that you have to debate anything. So you can get to the point of, be some legal challenge to no deal which may or may not pass in parliament and then very rapidly move to being able to say well we have to stop parliament doing this because they're trying to frustrate brexit and then you set the whole thing up so uh you can present yourself as you know we are on the side of the people who want brexit we're against these elitists these cosmopolitans these whatever you want to call them uh who are opposing us and that's kind of the conditions that you might want to run a, a general election i also don't think they really want to get a general to a general election anytime soon certainly not after a no deal brexit um, the, the prospect of trying to simultaneously do, I mean, it's just a simple, like how do you actually run a country at this point? You're trying to do a no deal Brexit and you're trying to do a general election. Uh, maybe some of the wilder fringes of, of you know, Boris Johnson's advisers might think like that, but it's it's a it's a hell of an ask. So so that seems very unlikely. No, this is this is a domestic thing. It's designed to close down a kind of parliamentary version of how to oppose Boris Johnson, which is why and uh, uh, this is why it's so important. I think to have protests to get people on the street to take the initiative away from what's happening in Parliament and and back into a, a much more radical setting.
1: Regarding the backstop, I mean, does this mean for you then that assuming that op- opponents of No Deal aren't successful, that the most likely outcome? is a no-deal Brexit, it's just not a no-deal Brexit that is willed by the Boris Johnson uh, administration. It's just they sort of paint themselves into a corner and they have no other option at that point.
0: I think the most likely outcome remains a deal. Uh, and it's remained a deal for as long as there was a deal to be to be done. I mean, this is a sort of preservation of the status quo. Very powerful forces want this to happen, both on the EU side and the British side, including the prime minister, including his advisers. Uh, if you look at the cabinets you know, th- that he has, it gets presented as like the hardest of the hard line. Well, they're not. This is overwhelmingly, I think there's only Preeti Patel. Who, who failed to vote for the withdrawal agreement at some point. Every single other cabinet member, including Jacob Rees-Mark uh, and Boris Johnson, voted for Theresa May's withdrawal agreement. So they want a deal and they will try and get to a deal. The room for manoeuvre that Boris Johnson has is extremely limited. Um, he talked during his campaign about potentially extending the the withdrawal agreement period, the implementation period, this sort of two years after you leave the EU where you're supposed to try and renegotiate a a free trade deal effectively with the EU and anybody else I suppose who wants one. Um, So potentially you extend that which pushes away the question of the backstop at some point into the future at the price of leaving you subject to EU rules for however many years you decide to extend it for. Um, You could present this as a major concession and that you're delivering Brexit and it's all good. Uh, That is going to look increasingly tempting for Boris Johnson that if he just gets Brexit in some form that's what you're going to tell people you've done regardless how bad and useless it actually is um, so so that I think is where they want to get to. Uh, the, like I said the EU on the backstop it, it, it's very very hard to see what what their room for manoeuvre is. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of fundamental that the EU needs to exist to defend its members in some senses. If it can't do that, then there's no point being the EU. It undermines much of what this you know, the collective arrangement is supposed to be. So I can't see moving very far uh, on the backstop. Who knows? I mean, stranger things have happened. More likely, it'll be some fairly cosmetic tweaking to the existing withdrawal agreement, which uh, Boris Johnson will try and then jam through Parliament, dangling the threat of a, of a no-deal Brexit, um, which is now made more plausible because obviously you've cut short uh, parliamentary debating time.
1: As you say, uh, members of the ERG have already voted for Theresa May's withdrawal agreement. But nonetheless, we we do seem to have seen uh, a hardening of of their rhetoric around the uh, relative desirability of of a no-deal Brexit. But you, you don't take that so seriously?
0: I, I don't take it so. Silly. I don't take the ERG particularly seriously. I, I don't agree. I don't agree, with Dominic Cummings, and, and many things. Right, but uh, he holds them in. in you know, he, he can read his blog. He holds him in deep contempt, and he, yeah. he's probably right to do so. Um, when they were actually put under pressure, they folded. Right, uh, they split on the question of whether or not they were going to actually back, uh, not uh, having a withdrawal agreement, and therefore running close to a no deal and Brexit. So uh, I don't take it particularly seriously. Uh, it's more a situation of just how bad things have got in the Conservative Party that they got as far as they've got as far as they have done. So so that that I think is, is more if there's a pressure on the Conservative Party around this, it is coming externally, it's coming via the Brexit party and the need to appeal to their base of voters and their own membership. And to look as hard line as possible uh, on on the on the issue of Brexit, which means basically at least countenancing and potentially actually delivering a a no deal Brexit. But that's that's a sort of external pressure. It's not appearing at the top of the Conservative Party. I think there's there's this danger of saying there is this sort of malevolent plot that is being enacted, which involves a no deal Brexit and we turn into a tax haven and that sort of thing. Well, I mean there are people who want that, but they don't have to do that through a no deal Brexit. They can do it lots and lots of other ways, including just getting out of the eu in some form i mean the debates around erg and the conservative party at least in terms of the mps and the more sort of thoughtful end of the party has turned into look just get the withdrawal agreement and then we can argue about the details afterwards so details would include those parts of the the outline political declaration which is attached to withdrawal agreement which would make it very hard to strike a, a comprehensive free trade agreement with the us i mean basically the outline political declaration which which sets what Britain says it will do outside of the EU. It's a sort of a, a kind of agreement between the two sides and roughly where they want to end up in negotiations about a free trade agreement. And it basically says Britain will continue to observe more or less European standards on use of you know, fertilisers and phosphates and hormones and food. If you're doing that to Europe, you can't have a free, free trade deal with the US because you're saying you're going to observe European standards. So, so that'd be one of the things that you want to pull away at if you actually get out of the EU. Uh, and I believe the priority now is for at least the leadership is to deliver Brexit in some form and not worry too much about the form it actually takes.
1: And, and you don't feel that they would be All that concerned about the electoral consequences in terms of a possible Brexit Party insurgency on the basis that the Tories haven't delivered a sort of real Brexit.
0: uh, Really, who cares? It's like it's sort of there will be a small number of people who like absolutely we should have had a hard Brexit. And if you're the Brexit Party, you can always take whatever Brexit turns up and say, well, this isn't the real Brexit, which is some other thing. I mean, ultimately, if you have a hard Brexit, you then say, well, we didn't leave the WTO as well, you know, that sort of thing. You can go just you can keep going in this quite 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 some distance. So you can always do that as a Brexit party, and that's going to be what you try and do. Um, But more seriously, in terms of what you can say to people, like if you get a deal through, uh, and this will be the calculation, I think, on the Conservative side, uh, and certainly for Johnson and Cummings and the people around him, if you get a deal through, you can turn around and say, I, Boris Johnson, finally delivered Brexit. Nobody else is able to do it. I did it. So aren't I like Churchill You know, uh, or something similar? Uh, And because you delivered Brexit with a deal, whatever form the deal is, suddenly all that investment that's been held back for the like last 18 months or so, you know, lots of companies won't invest, businesses won't invest when they don't really know how Britain's major sort of international relationship is going to look in like six weeks time or, or thereabouts, right? So there's an awful lot of investment that's been held back. Once some stability's been brought into the situation, it's clear that we've left, it's clear the conditions we leave, and there's a deal, a lot of that investment will come forward. So you could say, okay, I, Boris Johnson, deliver uh, Brexit, nobody else is able to do this, but I did. I stood up to Europe, well done to me. And you have all this investment suddenly surging forward, and suddenly the economy's picking up a bit, and everybody else looks like they're going to recession. So suddenly everything looks quite rosy. Do you see what I mean? And, and I think that would... If you if you think you can get to that point if you get a deal, you definitely want a deal. And to hell with the Brexit Party, they'll make a nuisance of themselves. But so did UKIP, right? So you can you can you kind of work your way around that. Um, that. That doesn't mean that there aren't a whole load of people with particular visions of what the future would look like outside the EU. I mean, Jacob Rees-Mogg has one. Uh, other people have slight variants on this. That broadly speaking, you do want to get to this kind of. You know, for one set of Brexiteers, it's very open free trading. We're going to strike mighty trade deals with, like, God knows, India, China, the US, whatever it might be. Another set of people is, you know, pull up the drawbridges and, and shut the rest of the world out, that sort of thing. Uh, there's a huge problem there, by the way. I mean, to take the most obvious version of that, uh, you can't get a free trade deal with India, who have said they would be very happy to sign one without also uh, de-restricting uh, controls on on migration from India, right? So so there's 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 big contradictions in what the Tories actually might want to get out of all of this, but the main thing is get let's get to let's get to a deal, and smash uh, Jeremy Corbyn. And the way they want to do that uh, is you know spending a bit more money if they if they can persuade the Treasury to do it. Uh, you might have seen the news today. It's fairly clear there's a huge row going on between Number Ten and the Treasury. Uh, at this point in time, Sajid Javid, as we're speaking, has moved forward his uh, announcement of a spending round. It will be a sort of mini budget on Tuesday next week as we're talking. Uh, headlines today is that he's just had his media adviser sacked uh, without being told about it, it would seem, by by number 10. So So there's a clear attempt to try and get the Treasury to behave in a sort of populist way that would get boris johnson to hold the conservative party together and win the next election which basically involves them trying to spend more money the treasury doesn't want to do this but it's a key part i think of, of what boris johnson thinks he's doing at this point in time
1: and presumably they're pretty confident of having the um the tabloid press be cheerleaders for this for this
0: um, oh yeah, yeah that's all priced in already yeah they have gotten that they would be you know uh, i mean do you, if you remember the, the embarrassing uh, headlines around Theresa May when she first became Prime Minister. Crush, you have to think back s- a bit. Saboteurs. Crush the saboteurs, Iron Lady. You know all that sort of, uh, all that sort of thing for a while. And, and she was she was genuinely, you know, if the opinion polls are any guide, and they're not a great guide, but she was genuinely popular in a way that Boris Johnson simply hasn't been from from, from as soon as he's entered office, um, for for a brief period of time. Uh, and and everybody started to delude themselves that it would be crushing the saboteurs and she'd call on the election uh, and do incredibly well and, and destroy the Labour Party and Jeremy Corbyn and socialism. In Britain forever, and that would be that. Um, it didn't quite work out like this. Uh, although, I mean, in practice, uh, her strategy actually worked very well. Uh, you know, she got the, what, the biggest share of the vote for the Conservative Party since Margaret Thatcher in 1983. The thing that spoilt their plan was the Labour surge, and they were doing far, far better than, than they calculated for. Um, and if you look at what Boris Johnson's doing, it, it's basically, you know, it's remarkably similar to what Theresa May said she should do if you look at what he's actually saying and what he's trying to do with the, do about the world, it's we will try and deliver a deal for Brexit. This is Theresa May's big thing. Uh, we will try and spend a bit more money. We are we're here to sort of look after the whole country, that sort of thing. Theresa May said the same thing, but was never able to deliver on it because she had a massive row with the treasury and wasn't able to squeeze enough money out. And we'll see where Boris Johnson gets to on that. Um, but it's, it's kind of very, very similar. It's certainly electoral and political strategy the two of them have. Uh, It's just Boris Johnson, you deliver it it with with perhaps more gusto, with more vim, um, and uh, you're in conditions of worse crisis because your strategy hasn't actually come through over the last two years or so. So so otherwise, he, he looks remarkably like Theresa May in terms of the actual content of what he's saying and says he'll do.
1: So, from MPs opposed to No Deal, we've seen sort of a, a mixture of defiance, but also a degree of defeatism too, in, in recognition of just you know how much power is invested in the executive and, and the range of tactics available to the government to even further squeeze the time available to try and legislate against a No Deal or, or bring a vote of, uh, of no confidence through measures such as filibustering in the Lords or even the creation of new bank holidays. Um, what realistically do you think are the options available to MPs at this point?
0: Well, this is this is the, the issue of prorogation. Is it sort of removes lots and lots of options. I mean, the option one is some sort of legal challenge, which is, as we speak, being prepared. I think there's there's a bill or you know, a humble address or whatever the precise sort of Parliamentary form uh, that is being presented on that. The um, predictably, really, the the actual legal challenge in the court up in Edinburgh uh, has sort of failed today, um, which is you know, fairly likely to happen. But their room for manoeuvre as, as MPs has been limited and quite deliberately limited uh, by by the prorogation. And that's why it's being done. the The critical bit here, I think, is getting the initiative out of Parliament in one form or another and back into the rest of the country. Because what you're what you're starting to look what what's happened with this kind of Uh, increasing the temperature or raising the volume or whatever the metaphor might be for what Boris Johnson's just done is that it's brought to the fore all the other elements of the sort of huge political and constitutional and social crisis that were always buried away somewhere and bubbling away in the background. It's brought right to the dead centre of this. You know, There is a crisis of what does democracy in Britain look like for people protesting, and and I think I'd say this is somebody on the left and wants to see a Jeremy Corbyn-led government and and be on the left and be a radical, transformative government, I think it's critical for us to not fall too much into saying let's let's fixate in Parliament, let's wait for the MPs to sort it all out let's get this sort of, you know, you get this kind of rhetoric of let's get the grown-ups together and all this sort of nonsense, we're way beyond that point, because none of this uh, addresses the real social crisis that frankly Boris Johnson hopes to use to his advantage, I mean if there is something that, Dominic Cummings gets talked up far too much, but there's something that he's he's presumably proved quite good at is understanding the conditions of that social crisis and turning it to a political advantage. And that's just, that's kind of how you end up with the, the vote to leave in 2016. They want to do something similar here. They want to turn the fact that austerity has been a, a social calamity. Neoliberalism for 40 years has been a social calamity for great swathes of the country. They want to turn that into an argument for supporting Boris Johnson, who, of course, merrily supported all of these things and will uh, accelerate them thereafter. So we have to kind of break that logic and you have to get out of saying, what's Parliament going to do? And into saying, what is the movement going to do? What are we going to do in the streets? How many protests are there going to be over this weekend and in, into tomorrow? Uh, can we get people leaving their workplaces? Can we get you know, people talking about a general strike? I mean, it's quite, at this point in time, quite a almost fantastical demand. You know, there hasn't been one really since 1926 in this country, but, but at the very least, you start to raise these things. And, and I think... I genuinely think that they've miscalculated, I think they've seriously misjudged the depths of the social crisis and the depths of the anger and the attachment people have to democracy, not, not so much to Parliament itself, but to the idea that your government is accountable to someone and we have some say over this, uh, which the prorogation just tramples all over.
1: I mean, in terms of, of, of broadening out opposition to the government beyond beyond Parliament and beyond judicial tactics, um, We're in this situation now where, for the first time for quite a long time, it feels like most people who are opposed to the government in one way or another are training more of their fire on the government rather than each other. I mean, you know, if if the threat of no deal has done nothing else, it's meant that, you know, we haven't had to listen to uh, Tom Watson and and Jess Phillips slagging off uh, Jeremy Corbyn, which, you know, I've I've been enjoying at least. Um, But, you know, I can sort of imagine that um, uh, people of a more centrist disposition might take the view that... um, in order to hold a, a broad coalition together, and you know, it, we may not think that's desirable, but some people clearly do. It would be a mistake to try and escalate into tactics of, of, of civil disobedience and 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 strikes, uh, because you know, figures like uh, you know John Major might be up for trying to block no no deal through the courts. He's not. He's not up for that.
0: Well, he's, he's, I mean, look, John Major is trying to do that. John Major prorogued Parliament himself, of course, in uh, 1997, uh, just ahead of the election, was basically to try and curtail questions around cash for access and that sort of thing. So he's not in much position to talk about the legality or otherwise progression here. I mean, it's a slightly more serious circumstances now, let's say. um. So I'm not, I'm not too bothered by that. And also legal challenges. It's, it's, you know, so it's quite bad if you're trying to deal with the fact of a very large number of people do have a genuine and completely understandable contempt for uh, most of the major institutions of British society, like Parliament, like the courts, like the way the whole gang of them seem to work together. So I do feel that running off to the courts and saying, please can you sort this out, it isn't really going to help anyone. I mean, there was a similar thing with, yeah, sort of strange, it did seem to be a genuine expectation the Queen might say no to Boris Johnson's uh, request. I'm not quite clear why anyone thought this would be the case, given, you know, what the last time the Queen said, or a monarch said no to anything was about the Scotch Militia Bill in uh, 1707. That's the last time the monarch refused to sign something into law when asked to do so by, by her executive and by a prime minister. So it, it was always wildly unlikely. But there is this sort of deep layers of, of sort of festering and understandable resentment and contempt. And unless the movement against what is happening taps into that, rather than sort of let's play nicey-nicey and let's go through the proper procedures and all this sort of thing, unless it taps into the same stuff that Boris Johnson is busy trying to dig himself into and that Vote Leave trying to dig itself into, unless you get into that, and that means addressing the social crisis and addressing the economic questions and addressing austerity and all the rest of it, then we aren't going to win. We can win, and, and I do genuinely think that he's bitten off more of than he can chew at this point. I mean, for what it's worth, the, the polling on prorogation finds. You know, 47% of people opposed, what was it, 23%, 26% of people in favour. Um, polling also shows that almost no one believes the an excuse, you know, that, that they're having to prorogue just because they, they want to clear the space for Queen's speech or whatever it was. It's nonsense. You know. It's like the dog edit sort of uh, end of things you might claim about why you're doing something or fail to do something. Um, so there's, you know, 13% of people believe the to this. 70% of people say, no, it's just because they're trying to jam through Uh, Brexit by any means necessary. Um, Unless you tap into the social crisis, and that means not going and finding some former Conservative Prime Minister who himself prorogued Parliament and asking that person to be your figurehead, uh, for example, or asking his Chancellor to, to be the figurehead of your movement. Unless you tap into the social crisis, this will not be won to the benefit of democracy. Uh, and a wider conception of democracy is like this is about how we're going to build a fair society. Like That won't happen. Uh, and you probably won't win through conventional procedure anyway, which is at least in partly due to the fact that they prorogued parliaments. So they close down any space you have to, to actually do something on this. Uh, I mean, it really is an incredibly tight timetable now. You, you hit, what, uh, conference season begins third week second week of september there's then a tiny space of time before a prorogation kicks in on what the 14th of october and then that's it you know the, the 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 room for formal politics now is, is reducing time so we have to break out of that and that means politics of protest and that does mean the kind of uh, protests and forms of protests people are raising that goes from signing a petition to blocking a road you know
1: and so i mean in terms of the, of, of the the um what winning would look like, what, what the steps would be to, to winning, if it was a strategy of, of you know effectively trying to make the country ungovernable. Are we, are we are we looking at you know popular pressure forcing the government effectively to to rule out no deal, or are we looking at a movement that might um, you know concentrate minds about the possibility of a vote of no confidence and then then you know bringing in a uh, a, a Corbyn government temporarily to uh, ask for a, an extension of Article Fifty, uh, followed by a, a general election.
0: Well, the effect of progression is is to move the issue away from simply no deal. Like it was up until that point you could reasonably say we want to stop no deal and this is something that you'd want to stop. Uh, you know that, that carries its own dangers and, and I think you've seen over the last few weeks how ending up in a series of parliamentary procedures... Just gets everybody caught up with stuff, which starts to lose the thread of sort of popular radicalism and popular support that, that certainly the, the Jeremy Corbyn project was, was all about. So once he's done prerogation, the question shifts in, away from No Deal and simply talk about let's stop No Deal. Well, okay, fine, we'll do that. But the, the, it's a deeper issue that's been raised, which is like, how does democracy work in Britain, and how is it that you have this government, a prime minister that, that's a, a tiny handful of people really in the Conservative Party elected, uh, that has absolutely Absolutely no mandate. There's no plausible mandate whatsoever uh, for him to claim uh, that he could even countenance a no deal. That was not, you know, if, if that had been the case, then parties arguing for no deal would have done better in the 2017 election. This didn't happen, right? At the most, you should say, the the, the, the 2017 election result says there ought to be some compromised version of Brexit. I mean, that's kind of what the obvious thing to do uh, would be, but, you know. And this is where Theresa May deserves a great share of the blame, that her strategy of just simply insisting that these are red lines, this is a deal, we have to vote for it, and refusing to countenance any version of anything else until right at the last minute uh, drags us into a lot of this mess. Um, but that's, that's, a, that's a different set of questions from just no deal itself. That is like who governs Britain sort of question. And the answer that we have usually to that is that there should be a general election. We go to the people, we decide who they want to govern Britain, and then we can settle this thing. And that's the obvious logical answer that's there straight away for us. There should be a general election. I I personally uh, think this is it's obviously winnable uh, for Labour. I I simply don't. I don't believe the polls. I mean, they're there and they say things, but we saw what happened last time. Uh, and we'll get something similar this time if we're confident about it, if we have a clear set of uh, popular economic policies that move beyond what we said in 2017. If we mobilise those 510,000 members to get out knock in doors, the Tories can't come close to that. So, of course, this is winnable. So bring on a general election. And then we can really see it about dealing with the social crisis and putting actual measures uh, uh, to do that, rather than this sort of parliamentary games that are now quite constrained anyway. So that that I think should be the demand, and that, that would lead you towards saying yes, we'll have a vote of no confidence, or we simply put enough pressure on the government that they have to, by one ruse or another, get to a general election and get to one as soon as possible. Because we we do need to get rid of this. Government. I mean, let's just you know make this absolutely... There's no point sort of messing around saying maybe they'll do something nice, maybe they'll deliver something. No, no, we have to get rid of this government. I mean, they made it very clear on every single step of the way why they are such a, a disaster area for, for you know, broader society in Britain. And that's even with slightly more spending in some preferred areas, potentially slightly more spending in some preferred areas that will dress up as ending austerity uh, turning up next week. This is, government is a disaster and they need getting rid of. The quickest way to do that is a general election. The demands of any movement about democracy in Britain should be around first that general election, get rid of this government, that's how we're going to do it. Let the people decide. They're the people. You know, we are the people uh, who ought to be making this decision. But then let's also open the, the broader sets of questions. You know, why why is it that we still have a House of Lords uh, with unelected people in it making decisions like this? Um, why do we still have a, an electoral system that, that's that's so obviously not working? Given the way people want to vote at this point in time, you can throw open all sorts of issues and beyond just um, you know formal. Democratic politics, in the sense of who's going to be in Parliament, you can open up issues of well, why is it that we have these these corporations that that have so much power but so little say for the people who work in them, for for the people who have to live with the consequences of their decisions uh, over what they do? Why aren't we talking more about you know, how do we crack open corporations and make them democratic? How do we transfer ownership? There's there's a whole list and list of questions that you can start to force open now, and I think the greatest mistake if we get this right on our side. Over the next few weeks, the greatest mistake that Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummings and all gang of them made was to allow those questions to be opened up in in a really mass sense.
1: You've been listening to Politics Theory Other, a podcast from Tribune Magazine. If you would like to hear the extended version of this interview, please consider supporting the show via Patreon. You can find the page at patreon.com forward slash poll theory other. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week.